Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Why do you think retail stores typically are not keen to have sales for Father's Day? It is because fathers are priceless. <laughs> you may be wondering what this riddle has got to do with today's sermon. Actually, nothing. I just wanted to remind us that today is Father's Day and we really wanted to honour the fathers among us in a simple prayer. So can I invite us to bow our heads. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fathers in our midst. They are priceless, not in terms of being cheap or worthless, but certainly precious. Precious gifts from God to our families. Lord, we recognize it's never easy for fathers to be fathers, as many fathers make mistakes and we have many shortcomings. Yet we ask of you, O God, to encourage all the fathers among us, that we might appreciate them as we should, that they might become the fathers you intended them to be through your word, through your spirit, and through a spiritual community that loves, appreciates, and supports them. In Jesus' name we pray and let all God's people say, Amen. Let's clap to honour our fathers. Now, for the sermon this week. Now, as I was thinking about uh, this week's sermon, I could not help but recall a marketplace joke, and it's entitled Three Envelopes. Now, the story was told of a new CEO who had just taken over a struggling listed company. The outgoing CEO met this new CEO, gave him three envelopes and said these parting words to him. When you're in trouble, open these envelopes. So the first quarter numbers came, the financials were terrible. This new CEO panicked, but then he remembered the envelope. So he opens the first envelope and it says, blame your predecessor. So he holds a press conference, shares about the big mess that his previous uh, CEO left and he assured everyone the cleanup was in making good progress. So everybody was happy. Then the second quarter numbers came out still very bad. So the new CEO panicked again. And then he quickly opened the second envelope and it said, reorganize. So he fired some key staff, trimmed down certain divisions, implemented major cost reductions, and everybody was happy. Then third quarter came. The numbers were worse than ever before. By now, he really, really panicked, quickly opened the third envelope, and it said, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> My friends, the marketplace is a challenging place. In Daniel 6, Daniel was neither a CEO or nor was he facing poor company performance. Rather, he was facing office politics of the most toxic kind. The most toxic kind he had to face serving in a government 
across at least five Gentile kings. Last Sunday, we heard from Pastor Edmund Wong sharing on Daniel chapter 6 on how God does deliver his people and he does so amazingly, miraculously and spectacularly at times. In this week's sermon, we will look at Daniel from another perspective. It is from the standpoint of the office politics Daniel had to face and the choices he had to make. Now for some of us, Office politics may seem very remote because we may have left the marketplace a long time ago or some of our students who are yet to join the marketplace. Yet, the tragic reality is that office politics can exist anywhere, isn't it? And in many forms. It can happen even among family members, church ministries, volunteer groups or organisations. For kids in our school, they may even feel they are experiencing politics when they are bypassed in leadership appointments, where they perceive their teachers to be showing favouritism, or when they are involved in project teams where not everyone is carrying their weight. I have been in Covenant for over 30 years and had the privilege of serving with many of the pastors and staff here. I'm thankful to share that I've never encountered toxic, office politics among the church staff. So if you want a good place to work, come and join the staff team. <laughs> As some of you know, I've been in the marketplace for close to three decades. So I'm a bit biased. Lah. As I read Daniel 6, huh, I just see office politics written all over the chapter. Now if you're wondering if I've encountered such politics, yes I have. And I will share a little more later. So this morning, I will share the message in two parts. I will quickly recount the great challenges Daniel had to face in his workplace and how he courageously chose to serve God as his king and was even prepared to bear the highest cost for his choice, being his life. First, let us explore the great challenges that Daniel had to face. Now in Daniel 6, Daniel was as he has always been, a faithful servant of God. Yet now, he was facing the most toxic and lethal office politics in his life. His colleagues were scheming to kill him. At this point, Daniel was at least 80 years old and was already chief of the king's wise men. And he was in the midst of an empire and top leadership change from Belshazzar to Darius. Now the change was very favourable for Daniel and it probably accounts for why his colleagues wanted to get rid of him. We see this from Daniel 6 verses 1 to 3 and here is where we can make at least three key observations. The first is that King Darius had 120 satraps in charge of his kingdom. Now who are these satraps? They are provincial rulers for the king and responsible for security and collecting taxes. Second, these satraps were overseen by three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one of them, and their role was to help the king prevent corruption. Third, in verse 3, we see that Darius favoured Daniel and was planning to promote Daniel. Now, Daniel's favour with Darius and his impending promotion was probably why his colleagues were just planning to get rid of him. 
This was a case of jealousy, envy, pride, competition, all thrown in and aggravated by the fact that Daniel was foreign talent, being an imported Jew who was an exile. Now, these colleagues were likely either one or both of the commissioners with their satraps' support. Actually, the word satraps is quite interesting, isn't it? It almost sounds like satraps. As an initial long shot, Daniel's colleagues tried to find fault in Daniel's work performance or ethics, and obviously they failed. Next, we see their wicked strategy in Daniel 6 verse 5, where they would strike Daniel where it hits him hardest and deepest. They were going to attack his faith in God. Here, they would masterly scheme to force Daniel to a Hobson's choice where he would be faced with worship Darius or die. Pastor Edmund Wong covered their wicked schemes last week. I will summarize it here for us as a plan comprising four key steps. They are, first, con the king to enact a new law. Two, catch Daniel breaking the new law. Three, corner the king to have to execute Daniel. And four, cast Daniel to the lion's den. Let me just very briefly go through all of this. Now first, Daniel's attackers conned the king as it was clearly not the case that everyone agreed that the king should enact that new law which imposes a death penalty within the next 30 days for anyone who doesn't worship him. Clearly, Daniel was not in the discussions. Second, was to catch Daniel breaking the new law. Now this was easy because Daniel prayed three times a day at his window. So this they did very easily. Third, they cornered the king by reminding him of the new law and reporting that Daniel had broken the new law. Very simple, right? But yet, we must not miss their wickedness in how they did this. In Daniel 6 verse 13, they referred strategically to Daniel as one of the exiles from Judah and equated Daniel's violation of the law as Daniel pays no attention to you, O king. They were really saying to the king, Daniel, this foreigner, he's slapping you in the face in front of all of us. And these people even seem noble by saying, O king, how dare this foreigner show you this kind of attitude. This was what they were effectively saying. This guy, you should get rid of him. Fourth, of course, Daniel was cast as lamb chop dinner for the lions. At his age, he was probably lean lamb chop. Now, at this point, there was no way out for Daniel. Yes, King Darius was helpless to save Daniel. Although Darius clearly favoured Daniel, as we see in Daniel 6, verses 3, 14 and 18, where Darius was planning to promote Daniel, and how Darius was so anguished over Daniel when he realized that the new law he had enacted trapped Daniel to his impending death. The plan of Daniel's enemies was so masterful. Everything was by law, and Daniel was guilty as charged. And at this point, Darius was bound by the new law he had been conned into signing. 
But thanks be to God, we all know how it ended. God delivered Daniel. Darius praises God. God wins. My friends, God writes last chapters. As we often and so rightly hear, it will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. While Darius, as the earthly king who favoured Daniel, was powerless to deliver Daniel, Daniel's God, the one true king, delivered Daniel miraculously. My friends, over the years, I've worked for many bosses. Some are fiery, some favoured me. In this, perhaps let me share a loving counsel. While we may feel very blessed when we enjoy the favour of our bosses, we must nevertheless be watchful. In my younger days, when I had the favour of my boss, I grew proud and even complacent. Then I had to encounter situations where even my boss could not help me. I know that God was teaching me a valuable lesson then, that ultimately, God is my ultimate boss, whom I must choose to continually and faithfully serve. My obedience and allegiance must first and always be to God and God alone. I've just recounted the great challenges Daniel had to face. Now, let us explore how Daniel courageously mixed the choice of serving God amidst such challenges and was prepared to do so at the highest cost, at the cost of his own life. My friends, I believe Daniel had clear convictions and these were convictions he had made right at the start of his work life. And I encourage us, especially those who are joining the workforce, to do likewise. Recall Daniel 1 verse 8, where Daniel is presented to us as follows. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice of food or with the wine which he drank. My friends, when our convictions are clear, so will our choices be. Daniel knew exactly whom he would choose to serve and worship when he was presented with either worship Darius or die. If his choice means that he had to die, he was prepared to do so. In Daniel 6 verse 20, when Darius speaks to Daniel, we see how Darius describes Daniel as both a servant of the living God and as one who continually serves his God. Oh, this must have been a God-inspired ascription for Darius for Daniel. In other words, Darius rightly saw Daniel as not just one who was continually serving his God, but one who was a servant of the living God. Now, interestingly, this term, the living God, is usually used by an Israelite in the Old Testament to distinguish their living I am God, the eternal infinite God, as against the Gentile powers, gods or idols. We see this in various Old Testament passages, such as Joshua 3.10, 1 Samuel 17.26, 2 Kings 19.4 and 16, and Jeremiah 10, verse 10. 
Here, it is so significant that Darius, who was a Gentile, uses this term to describe Daniel's God. It is almost as if Darius was acknowledging Daniel's God for what the Israelites declared their God to be. And so, Daniel 6 and Daniel 4 ends in the same way. Each of those kings praises Daniel's God. Now, what does a servant of the living God and serving God continually mean? I believe we get some idea of this from Daniel 6, verses 21 to 23. First, it is that Daniel walks before his God blamelessly. Second, it was in how Daniel trusted in his God confidently. These two key choices, I believe, Daniel makes, and it is what defines him as a servant of the living God who serves his God continually. Let us explore this together. Now, that Daniel walks before his God blamelessly is something that Daniel himself attests to in Daniel 6 verses 21 to 22. Here the verses read, Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me since I was found innocent before him, and also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Now in the ESV, uh, it actually uses blameless instead of innocent. Now, I trust we all know blameless doesn't mean sinless, right? Blameless simply means to be morally upright, innocent and earnest. That Daniel was blameless is attested in Daniel 6 in at least three key ways. We see this in his work life, in his prayer life and in his private life. Let's explore this together. First, is how Daniel was blameless in his work life and we see this in Daniel 6 verse 4. We are reminded that Daniel's enemies could not find any fault in Daniel's work performance or his ethics because Daniel was clean and he was competent. Now, as a loving input to Christians who are in the marketplace, we must always seek to be competent in our work because our competency ultimately affects no testimony. I recall uh, being a supervising officer once, overseeing uh, a new officer on probation, and she was a very, very pleasant, sweet-spirited fellow believer in Christ. But yet, after watching her at her job, we had to come to the conclusion she just didn't have the required skill sets to be competent in the job for which she was hired. So when we were processing this with her, I, I recall having to share with her that perhaps this was not the job that was best for her. And after an extended probation period, we both mutually agreed to this conclusion and she left the firm amicably to her relief. Being blameless at our workplace and involves just not being clean but also being competent. Now, second, we see Daniel blameless in his prayer life. Now, recall Daniel 6, verse 10. Here we see Daniel praying, and the scripture says he is praying as he has been doing previously. So, Daniel had a regular prayer life. 
May I ask, how is our prayer life, my friends? Are we praying regularly over our work, our school, our family, or our ministry situations? Here, Daniel prays regularly. So, in Daniel 6.10, where we read how Daniel went to pray after the document was signed, he wasn't praying for sure or to defy the new law. He was simply praying as he has always been living, a life of worship, of thanksgiving, of service to his God, as he has been a faithful servant. Now at this point, let me speak the truth in love. If Daniel had a terrible conduct at his work, or where God has placed him, where he's consistently unethical and totally incompetent, I believe Daniel can pray all he wants and he won't be any more spiritual than he is as a person. In this, may we take heed of what A.W. Tozer says about prayer, and it is this, that prayer is never an acceptable substitute for obedience. The Sovereign Lord, Tozer says, accepts no offering from his creatures that is not accompanied by obedience. Don't get me wrong. By all means, we should and must grow in our prayer lives, but let us not forget that prayer is no substitute for obedience. So we see Daniel blameless in his work life, we see Daniel blameless in his prayer life, and third, we see Daniel blameless in his private life. Here, we see how Daniel is uncompromising when it comes to his private life. When the new law was enacted, Daniel prays as he always had. Now, just think along with me. It would have been so easy for Daniel to just compromise. After all, the new law was just valid for 30 days. He could always have prayed with his windows closed, pray in another room, or go on sabbatical for 30 days. Now, I'm not suggesting Pastor Edmund Wong went on sabbatical to make compromises. Why didn't Daniel do any of this? It would have been so tempting. He could even have reasoned to himself, hey, Darius needs me, you know. I must do all that I can to survive. And with this new role that he's giving me, I can make even a greater impact for our God. I believe Daniel didn't because he was fully aware of the dangers of making seemingly small and unseen compromises. My friends, what small, seemingly unseen compromises are we making? Flee from them. They will lead you to greater, deeper, and darker troubles. Proverbs 10, verse 29 warns us, One who walks in integrity walks securely, but one who perverts his ways will be found out. My friends, beware the small unseen compromises. They will lead you to greater, deeper, and darker troubles. How do adulteries begin? They often begin with seemingly harmless, flirtatious texts and touches. How do we end up with addictions? It usually begins with just having some seemingly harmless, manageable fun. Big sins often begins 
in small compromises. I believe Daniel was fully aware of such dangers. Hence, once again, we are reminded that at the start of his work life, he made the decision not to defile himself with worldly delicacies or temptations. So my friends, beware the small unseen compromises. They will lead you to greater, deeper and darker troubles. So Daniel, as a servant of the living God, walks blamelessly before his God. Now we see how Daniel trusts confidently in his God. We see this recorded for us in Daniel 6 verse 23. This reads, So Daniel was lifted out of the den, and no injury whatsoever was found on him. And then the words come, Because he had trusted in his God. Now, in what did Daniel trust regarding his God? I believe he trusted that God would vindicate him. And yet at the same time, I believe Daniel was surrendered by the possibility that he may not be delivered. In short, I believe Daniel was prepared to die for his conviction to serve his God and only his God. How did Daniel come to this place of trust? I believe trust is something that is built over time. God had a track record with Daniel because each time Daniel trusted, God delivered. As we always hear, don't even trust in your own faith because your own faith may fail you. But trust in the faithfulness of God. It is a faithfulness that never fails. Recall how God answered Daniel's prayer to reveal and interpret Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. See this in Daniel 2. Or how God delivered Daniel's three friends from the fiery furnace in Daniel 3. Or how God enabled Daniel to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's second dream and the writing on the wall at Belshazzar's sacrilegious party. My friends, each time Daniel trusted, God delivered. God can be trusted. Can we just turn to each other and say that? God can be trusted. Amen? I don't know what impossible situations we, our family members or our close friends may now be facing. It could be toxic office politics or terminal illnesses, relational tensions or even struggling in dark addictions. May we encourage one another that God can be trusted. As I say these words, I recall how my late spiritual father never failed to remind me, God can be trusted, God. And he would hold me by my arms, saying that with a deep conviction in his eyes. And this was a man in his 70s who had faithfully served God for 50 years. He would always recount how God had always been faithful, faithful in providing, faithful in coming true for him in every situation that he had faced in his life. Before he departed to return home to the US, he left me with one of his life verses and it was this, Joshua 21 verse 45, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. 
everything came to pass. May we trust in God's faithfulness. Let me come to a close. At this point, some of us may be thinking, Pastor, it is easy to say that Daniel chose God amidst all the challenges and chose God at the highest possible cost where he could have lost his life. It is easy to say that Daniel walked before God blamelessly and trusted in God confidently. However, we may be saying to ourselves, I'm not Daniel. And the times that I've tried to be Daniel, I have failed and failed miserably. And I'm not sure if I can or even want to try again. My friends, I appreciate this feeling. I have felt likewise many times before. Here, may I lovingly encourage us to look to God to enable us. Because I believe God calls each of us to be a Daniel where he has placed us, be it in our workplaces or our schools. And the only proviso is that we are willing to embrace this calling. In my humble view, while Daniel was exemplary in how he walks blamelessly and how he trusted in God confidently, what ultimately distinguished Daniel is what we see in Daniel 6 verse 3. And this reads, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. My friends, what ultimately distinguished Daniel was that he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Here, we recall that this is not the first time this is mentioned. Daniel's first boss, Nebuchadnezzar, saw this spirit of the gods working in and through Daniel in verses Daniel 4.8 and 4.18. And this was also affirmed by the queen in Daniel 5.11 and echoed by Belshazzar in Daniel 5.14. Now, as believers today, I trust we know that Daniel had the Holy Spirit in him. And this, I believe, was the key to his courage and his choice to be a servant of God and to serve God only as his king at the highest cost amidst great challenges. Here, let me close with a personal story. Why? Because Daniel 6 has a very special place in my heart for me with regards to my working life. You see, God spoke Daniel 6 to me at a time when the politics in my office was very toxic. There were two major camps at the time, one scheming, the other more righteous. I was deeply burdened at this time. And I was wondering, what can someone like me do when the big elephants are fighting? Then one night I had a dream. I was walking with the head of the righteous camp and suddenly as we were walking, he tripped over a rock and hurt himself very badly and was bleeding profusely. At that moment, I woke up very disturbed. And as I prayed over the dream, I felt that God led me to Daniel 6. Then I felt a prompting to share Daniel 6 with this head. Now at that moment, I was wrestling 
Why, you might wonder. Well, firstly, this head is very senior in the place where I was working. Secondly, he was not a believer, although he knew I was one. Thirdly, while we knew each other, we were not so familiar that I think I can walk into his office and tell him that God has a message for him. <laughs> Fourth, his schedule was always jam-packed every day. The next day, it happened that I had something to liaise with, uh, with his PA. And I felt there was a God-given moment. So halfway into our conversation, I asked the PA, can I see boss for 10 minutes? Surprise, she asked me, what is it about? I said, it's a personal matter. At that moment, I felt like the greatest idiot on earth. <laughs> a personal matter, she looks at me, and the honest me in me said, yes, a personal matter. To my surprise, she said, you know what? Boss actually has 10 minutes right now because someone rescheduled his appointment. Let me check with him. As she walked into his room, I was wondering what I had done. I uttered a very desperate one minute, thank you, Lord, prayer, but more importantly, help me, Lord, prayer. <laughs> Next moment, I found myself in the boss's room and I was sharing with him the dream that I had and I actually took him through Daniel 6, explaining how I felt God had laid this passage upon my heart as a burden for him. He was listening intently. When I finished my sharing, there was a pregnant silence. At this point, I was wondering if he was going to ask his PA to get me some psychiatric help. Instead, he said with great earnest, Thank you, Kirk. I never knew there was such a story in the Bible. What you shared today is very timely and relevant for me. He explained, you see, I've just been asked to sign a major new policy document. And I was uncomfortable with it, and I now know why. My friends, I felt I was on holy ground at that moment. By God's grace, God had enabled me to share my faith in a very real and relevant to this pre-believing head. My friends, I share this story to remind us that God is ever so real for us where he has placed us and called us to be, and especially in the marketplace. And God can use our desire to be his servant, to serve him in the most unexpected and surprising ways, as long as we are willing to embrace his calling. I invite us to bow our heads in prayer. My friends, I want to believe and trust that God has spoken to us this morning. Some of us may be facing situations, situations that are challenging in our lives right now. Perhaps it's in our schools, perhaps it's in our marketplaces, or even in our families. Some of us may be feeling despair, hopeless, even helpless. We have been trying, trying, and there seems to be no breakthrough. 
If this is you, I'd like to invite us this morning to trust once again in God's faithfulness to you. His faithfulness to enable you to be a Daniel, to serve God wherever you are by walking before Him blamelessly and trusting in Him confidently. Now with all our eyes closed, if this is your desire, for God to enable and empower you once again. With all eyes closed, would you raise your hands? Thank you. I see some hands raised. Thank you. Yes, more hands coming up. My friends, it's between you and the Lord right now. And I believe that this kind of desire pleases God. It honors Him because God desires to enable and empower you. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you see the earnest and honest hands that were raised. In your faithfulness, your unfailing faithfulness, by your abundant grace and mercies, would you enable and empower these brothers and sisters Empower them in their desire to serve and worship you and you only in the challenging situations that they are now facing in their lives. Enable them to walk before you blamelessly and trust in you confidently that they may become servants of you, the living God, for your glory as per their heart's desire. In Jesus' name we pray and let all God's people say, Amen. My friends, I invite us to arise. Arise to embrace our calling to be servants of the living God, serving the King as we stand in awe of His grace and setting our feet in His face. Standing in awe of Your grace Setting my feet in your ways Entering into your presence To behold you face to face God of all heaven and earth Holding me in your embrace Serving you for all
some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.